Last week, we began a uh, new series, and uh, we entitled the series, The Works of Christ. So this is our second installment in the series, and uh, we've entitled it, Proclaiming It to the Poor. When, when, you, when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you do find yourself asking, you know, what did Jesus come to do? What is it that he came to do? Can we? And we sort of, you know, put it in a nutshell. Is there some sort of, is there somewhere where he said, and that was sort of what we asked ourselves last week, what did Jesus come to do? And in looking at the passage in uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is the parallel passage to the one that was read to us, Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus is quoting, now I, I, I wonder if you remember, remember he was given the scroll to read, and he read out of Isaiah, well that's what he read, what uh, was written, read, read to us this, this morning. He reads out of Isaiah, and uh, we, we are beginning to look at this passage because in it we, we believe that we're going to find exactly what it was Jesus came to do. Now, in our first installment, we looked at two qualities that are pertaining to the Son of God. Uh, number one is he had a custom. He, uh, one of his customs was he attended synagogue. He went to a place of gathering where God's word was read and where God was worshipped. And number two, he was anointed by the Spirit of God. Now the, the application was and is, of course, to Jesus. The main application of that passage is to him. But we discovered that the secondary application is to us as believers. And as we seek to follow in the footsteps of Christ, well then, we concluded we ought to make it our business. We ought to make it our custom to find ourselves every time we can in a place of worship where God's word is taught, where his name is proclaimed. And number two, we discovered that all who have come to a knowledge of Christ, they have been anointed by God. They have received the Spirit's anointed. Because all who have received the Spirit of God have been anointed of God. And so we, we, we began the last week with those two observations. Now, we're going to kind of switch gears, but not really. We're just staying on the same thought. It's just that we're going to begin to look at this, the works of Christ. Now, here's what, uh, here's what I want to ask you. Do you keep up with the life of the rich and the famous? You know, is that something that, that, that you do? Uh, let's see, there's magazines, there's newspaper articles uh, about what they're doing. There's TV shows, reality shows. Uh, we, 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 we always want to know what the rich and famous do, right? Well, so, you know, uh, this is your, one, of, one of your summer homes, you know? This is one of your summer cottages. Well, have you ever asked yourself, what makes a man rich, what makes a man poor, besides the fact of money? I think what makes a person rich and makes a person poor, it's just a matter of, uh, relativism. And what I mean by that is, 
You know, poorness and richness is relative as you compare it to something. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, a fellow by the name of Lakshmi uh, Mittal. Sure. You guys, anybody know him? Yeah. Oh, good. There's two in the crowd. Well, you apparently you should know him, folks, because this fella is the number one head honcho, el big guy in the United Kingdom as the richest man. He is the richest man in the United Kingdom. He is worth 12.7 billion. With a B. 12.7 billion pounds. Um, if you want to feel good about it, he's only ranked number 21 in the world. But he is number one in the United Kingdom. Uh, the Duke of uh, Westminster, he, um, he comes in seventh at a low 7.3 billion pounds. And um, how about uh, our friend Bill Gates? Our friend Bill Gates, uh, uh, he comes in at $61 billion. And he's number two in the world. You know, when, when you go to the beach here in, uh, I don't know, Lasagna on a given August and it's kind of crowded, we just sort of find a place where we can put our towel a little further away from the next guy. These guys go out and buy entire islands. That way they don't have to worry about the crowds. Okay? This is the kind of people we're talking about. There's a, guy, there's a lady by the name of Lawrence Powell Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs' wife and family. In the 100 list, they're the last. They're 100. They're the poor guys in the list. All right? We're talking about 9 billion, not million, billion American dollars. I know, you want to know who's number one. Now, I was kind of curious, too. Anybody know who number one is? There's a guy by the name of Carlos Slim Halu. Ever heard of him? Guess what? He's not American. He's Mexican. I was like, really? Mexican? Richness is measured on an individual scale. How much do you have? How do you feel around uh, folks like that? You kind of feel poor, don't you? You kind of feel like, I don't have a thing. Right? Wrong. Yeah, let me, let me bring up your spirits a little bit. Let me talk to you about the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It is now numbered one in the poorest nations of the world. Their GDP, which is the gross domestic product, that is the market value of all fine goods and services from a nation, is a whopping 348 American dollars, about 200 pounds. If you list the 180 countries of poverty, from, 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 uh, from po in poverty, okay, the first 11 countries are all from Africa only to be broken by Afghanistan, and then about the next four or five, or you're back to Africa. Now, I asked myself, I always thought that Haiti was like the poorest nation in the world. I always kind of heard that. You know, I don't know about you, but it's kind of... I, when I look for Haiti, Haiti is number 19. I thought, man, that's worse than Haiti. 
And I kind of have a little idea what Hades is about. Well, we said that the, uh, the uh, domestic, the gross domestic product of the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo is $348. Let me give you number one, the United States of America. Their GDP is $15.9 trillion. In that list of the powerful and mighty, the United Kingdom comes in a staggering sixth. Sorry, guys. China's ahead of you. Japan's ahead of you. Germany's ahead of you. And yes, even France is ahead of you. That hurts. Now, at this point, you're asking yourselves, well, what about poor little old Spain? I mean, we are in such a financial crisis here. It must be way at the bottom. No, not really. Spain ranks in at number 12. So who's the last one on the list of this GDP? Well, it's a, an island in the Pacific called Tuvalu. Anybody know what Tuvalu is? I have to admit I didn't. I had to look it up. Well, you really guys, you guys, you know, you're disappointed in me here. You didn't know who that is, but you should. It belongs to the Commonwealth. Great Britain, number six, yet in the Commonwealth lies the poorest of the GDPs. Wealth and poverty are very relevant, folks. It all depends what you choose to measure yourself to. In regards to scripture, the rich young ruler was asked by Jesus to give away his riches. Did you know God is rich? Scripture says that God is rich in mercy. And of Jesus, it says that Christ is rich in grace. And of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, it is said of him that he was a rich disciple. Riches are given for the purpose of sharing. That's what they're given for. Actually, Scripture tells us that it is God who gives the power to make wealth. I was re-looking at some of those verses and it was surprising how many times in the Old Testament God tells Israel and those who are his followers, I will make you rich. Here's what Scripture says. Thank you for that. Here's what Scripture says. With difficulty, a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it says, not many powerful, not many noble. And somewhere along the line in my, my hearing things and reading, somewhere I read that uh, Queen Elizabeth the first said something like one of her favorite verses in the Bible was where it said, not many. Because she said, at least there are some. Let me read to you, please, give you a biblical focus of God's view on rich and poor. Because, you know, whenever you get into the Bible and you see the word poor, we always head for material. And we begin to then judge things on the basis of material gain. 
Would you please follow with me if you like? We're going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think it would be good for some of us to just be reminded of what 1 Corinthians 1 tells us. What the Apostle Paul says to us in this, uh, these few verses beginning at verse 26. Now here's what it is. You've got to kind of put on your thinking caps because in this he describes richness and poorness. Richness and poorness. Now watch what he says. For consider your calling. And I, and I want to stop here. Don't take that lightly. He says, consider your calling. Have you been called? And did you obey the call? Have you heard the voice of God calling you? And have you responded to that call? Because if you have, this is what Paul has to say to you. Brothers, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being... talking about people. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, look, wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Are you feeling rich? The Lord Jesus came to do a task. And in that task, in those works, there lies one that he proclaims as the main one. And let us pray as we look into the new material. Father, would you, would you open up our minds? Would you open up our hearts? Would you help us to see you as the redeeming Savior that you are? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The works of the Son of God. The first one on the list, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to, listen, it's one word, proclaim the gospel. That's one word. To evangelize is really what it kind of says there in the original. To proclaim the gospel to the poor. And this is when some of us kind of rise up and say, well, how come they get it proclaimed and we don't? Why the poor? Middle class isn't allowed into heaven? The rich aren't allowed into heaven? Why the poor? Well, let's begin, take take that phrase apart a little bit. Proclaim the good news to the poor. The good news. It's actually, the word news and the word proclaim are one. They're not two, they're one word. It's proclaim news, it's, it's to evangelize. It's, it's a concept of proclamation. It's not something you do quietly, it's not that something that uh, it's done by the mere presence of your life. I'll live a good life in front of them and they will fall to the feet of Jesus. That's garbage. 
That's not what the Bible says. You got to proclaim the gospel. He came to pro, he didn't come to live out a good life in front of us. He came to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, uh, of himself, the good news about himself. And so it is good news, gospel. And the gospel, folks, is not limited to life, death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is all of the news of God. From Genesis to Revelation, because when you begin in Genesis and you end at Revelation, you find there is one theme and one theme only across the whole Bible. Redemption. God going out of his way to reach humanity, to reclaim what he had lost, the souls of men. And so the gospel is all the good news of God, all the good news of the scripture. That's why he could say he came to proclaim good news. And he proclaimed that good news out of the Old Testament. And then as he spoke what would later become the New Testament, the new covenant. Now, gospel. So proclaim God. Now, number two, poor. Here's where we... All the, what the, our introduction was about. Poor. Now what does he mean by poor? Well actually in the New Testament there are four words that are used for poor. But what I'm about to tell you are all one word. Okay? Just one word. It's used in the same place, same word used in different places. Luke chapter 4 is what we read last year, excuse me, last Sunday. Whew, did I get ahead of myself? Last Sunday when we read Luke chapter 4, uh, when Jesus quotes out of Isaiah. That word poor, to proclaim the gospel to the poor, same word, here we go. So in, uh, in, Mar- in Matthew 26, you remember when Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you? That's a questionable wonder. What do you mean the poor will always be with us? Well, the poor has always been with us. And so I have the rich. But uh, the word poor there, it, the, that that. That quote from Jesus, it's not unique to him. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 15. So there you have that word poor. Matthew chapter 5, you know, where it says that the uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, it says. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they, uh, they shall inherit the kingdom. Now, that's that same word. In James chapter 2, it talks about if a rich man walks into your church, you move the poor guy that's sitting up front, you tell him to sit in the back, and you put the rich man in. Same word, talking about material gain. Poor. And in Revelations chapter 3, the word poor is used, but in a metaphorical way. All those times is the same word. So you say, wait a minute. So how do I know which kind of poor it's talking about? And the answer is very simple. The, the, the actual context of the passage will tell us the type of poverty to which God is defining himself. And so we'll define the word poverty as helpless and one who has nothing at all. Helpless without anything, without nothing at all. 
There are three other words besides these, and these describe a particular need, a day laborer or a beggar. Poor. Poor is the attitude of the soul toward God. The attitude of the soul toward God. To those, to these uh, was the gospel to be destined. To these kind of poor was the gospel to be destined, and these are the ones who receive the gospel. And start, start, start assimilating what I'm saying, folks, because we're going to kind of tighten the shoestrings near the end. The gospel is not compatible with pride, with human wisdom, with self-sufficiency. They are not at all friends. The gospel has nothing to do with this type of attitude, pride, wisdom, self-sufficiency. It is the poor, it is the helpless to those who find themselves asking that God will make his attention, that God will be captured by their prayers. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. But on this one, on this person, on this one will I look. Who's God looking for? This is what it says. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. He's not talking about material gain. Not when he unites that kind of poor with a contrite spirit. He's looking for those who are were totally empty, who see themselves in an attitude of, of, of soulish need before God. They are helpless. They have nothing in their own spirit. Poor is the one who with open hands bows before God and receives of God the Father, he receives this mercy of which he is rich. Of God the Son, he receives of this which he is rich in grace. Poor is the one who openly reaches out and says, I need of your riches, God, for I am poor. It is this beggar who receives the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven from the hands of Jesus. Now we got we kind of need to do a little reality check here, folks. Because there are certain words in our thoughts that are kind of hard to always keep in definition. And, and I think poverty is one. Uh, amazing to hear us middle class complain about our financial situation. When, when I know that when I complain... I am a king. I live like a king compared to some of whom I have had the opportunity to minister to. So let's get a little reality check from God's perspective. God says we're all poor. With a capital P. We're all poor. We are all bankrupt spiritually. We are all bankrupt morally apart from the merits of Christ. There are poor who are 
millionaires, yay, billionaires, we heard. There are poor who need social assistance. And there are poor who otherwise barely survive. So there are poor that are rich, there are poor that are middle class, and there are poor who are poor. And all need to have the gospel, what does it say? Proclaimed. A preached gospel, a proclaimed gospel, a said gospel. How shall they hear if we don't proclaim? And Jesus says that he has been anointed and we have been anointed to what? To proclaim good news, to evangelize the spiritually bankrupt, which is all. And this poverty is not economical. We speak of spiritual bankruptcy. There is nothing to be ashamed, folks, when we talk about spiritual bankruptcy. You see, poverty shames some. We're going to get into a little story at the end. But, but in God's economy, in God's understanding and how God sees things, the fact that we recognize our poverty is good. Because in the recognition of Poverty, we come to God broken and we say, I need help. And God says, I hear you, my son. I hear you, my daughter. A broken and a contrite heart, God says, he will not reject. So there is nothing to be ashamed of in regards to poverty, spiritual poverty. For without Christ, we are all in the same situation. Are you catching that? It has nothing to do with what religion you were born in, how you were raised. It has nothing to do with what you've been following. It has to do with have you recognized it any time in your life your spiritual poverty, and come to God and said, I need you. For in and of myself, I can not come into your presence. I need the saving work of Christ. I have a little illustration as we close off. It's somewhat of an anecdote. Uh, and a little bit of uh, an understanding of my own life. I wrote, I grew up very much thinking I was a rich kid. I mean, I kind of, I thought I lived a rich life. Um, I sort of grew up between two neighborhoods. My mother lived in one neighborhood. My father and his family lived in another neighborhood. So I kind of grew up between the two neighborhoods. And one neighborhood, we, we call it like one side of the tracks and the other side of the tracks. You know how that, we use that expression. Well, my father lived on the other side of the tracks. It's very plush, very nice. Uh, I always loved going over and hanging out at my dad's house. It was a nice neighborhood. And, and dad always, always, always made sure I had all of what I wanted. I was a little bit of a brat. And see, so, you know, dad was really good to me in that sense, okay? And, uh, but then there was mom's, mom's house. We lived with grandma. Uh, she lived in one house. We lived in the other. But, but it was a kind of poor neighborhood. But I always thought we were rich because we were the only family on that block that had a car. We were the first ones to have a television. Um, 
There was a, a milk truck that would stop at my house every day to deliver milk and cheese and yogurt because my mom worked at one of these places. She was one of the secretaries there. And um, every weekend, every weekend, we'd go out. Dad would take us on a car ride, and we'd go out into the country and, and uh, every Sunday, and we'd end up in Mass somewhere. But uh, we went out. We would just, with every, every, you know, and we traveled. I thought I was rich until we moved to Amer- until we moved to America, and I found out I was poor. I didn't know that. I didn't know we were poor. My mother and I lived in one bedroom. In that bedroom was everything. It was our bed, our uh, couch, and our kitchen. We shared a common bathroom. And, and, and used a common shower. It was a public bathroom and a public shower. And, and that's how we lived for a long time. And I remember when we got our first flat that had two bedrooms. It was like, whoa! I mean, we were moving up in the world. And then we got a, uh, we got a flat that had three bedrooms and a bathroom. And a kitchen. I tell you about the size of my kitchen now. So maybe that wasn't a big kitchen. But okay, so but it seemed like big because it was a kitchen. It was actually a room that was a kitchen. I didn't know we were poor. I thought we were rich. But then we came to the United States. Mom traveled there and, and compared to everybody else in, the, in middle class America where we lived, we were really poor. Well, during this time, my mother used to work a lot. She, she worked like 16 hours. She had two different jobs, and she used to work a lot. And so it was right shocking that one particular weekend she said, we're going to Washington, D.C. We were living on Long Island at the time, and my mom said, we're going to Washington, D.C. this weekend. I said, really? She says, yep, we booked a, a, a tour, and we're going on a tour bus, and we're leaving at whatever... And we'll be down there for a couple of, two or three nights. I said, really? Oh, man, this is great. This is like the first time we did anything, you know. And of course, I'm a kid. I'm about 10 years old at best at the time. And I didn't know money. I didn't know what it cost to do these things. But I thought my mom, you know, was, you know, we were just having fun. So we went to Washington, D.C., and we had a lot of fun. At the end of the tour, there was one last stop. And uh, it was, um, we visited a place called Mount Vernon, um, Estates, which is where George Washington, it's supposed to be known as George Washington's home. Uh, home, And I was kind of looking forward to that. You know, I'd heard about this guy. You know, they've been talking about him in class. So I heard, and you had something to do with America. So I wanted to see this, this house, you know. Uh, I'm a new kid. I'm an immigrant, you know. And we got there, and the bus driver pulls up, gets on the, you know, the speaker there, and he says, all right, you know, you got an hour to see her, and everybody you know, wants to get off. And don't forget, this, is, this visit is not included in your uh, tour package. You have to pay for this on your own. Okay, everybody's getting off, get off. And I went to stand up, and my mom grabbed me by the seat of my pants and sat me back down. I'm like, huh? I said, well, we're not going? And my mom said, no, no, we're not going. I said, mom, why, why aren't we going? Said, we got no money. Oh, back to being poor. Anyway, I was like, oh, okay. So it was. It seemed like a long time. Everybody was gone. So I was pretty bored, and I had moved up to the front of the bus. I was talking to the few that were there. There were a few people, a couple of people, 
It was so boring, I started telling jokes. I mean, this is how bored everybody was. They were even laughing at my jokes. So I'm sitting there telling jokes, and uh, I had made a little friend. I had made a little friend during these couple of days. And he came. He was like one of the first to get on the bus. And I was still up front with the phone in my, in the, uh, what do you call it, the megaphone in my hand, you know. And he comes up and he says, hey, Rafa. Uh, Raphael, he says, oh, you know, why didn't you come? Thing is open. I left the thing on, you know. And I'm a, I'm a kid, you know, I'm honest. I don't, you know, I said, oh, we couldn't go because uh, we're really poor and we have money. Within about the next two seconds, I hear my mom. And I know when my mom's upset. She goes, Rafael Ignacio. That's my full name. So, so I, I look back and my mother's like, I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Oh, I know I'm in trouble because she said my full name. So I know I'm in trouble, but I don't know what I did. So I go to the back of the bus, and I get a mouthful. You know, I mean, I got it. No, how dare you tell everybody that we're poor? That's none of their business. You don't go telling people that we're poor. You don't tell them that we don't go because we don't have money. Blah, blah, blah. Now let's apply that little story. You know what, folks? There's nothing wrong with admitting that we're poor. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not defined by poverty or richness. But if you are poor spiritually, and you say, I can't let anybody know that I'm poor spiritually, that is what keeps you from God. And that is what will keep you forever from God. So you see, on the contrary, to admit our state of poverty, that is the first step in spiritual richness. I grew up in the church. I grew up very much surrounded by religion. I grew up thinking all was well. And so when people would talk to me or try to talk to me about religious things, I'd always say, I got that covered never wanting to admit my spiritual bankruptcy. But the day came. The day came when I could not keep it anymore. When I had to admit to my spiritual bankruptcy. That was the day I found out. Wow, I'm rich. I just went from bankruptcy to richness. So folks, as we close this message and as we bring this thought to an end, let me challenge you with this. You think that by covering your spiritual bankruptcy, you do yourself a favor. The answer is you don't. You will do yourself a greater favor if you would admit your bankruptcy to God and reach out to the rich God who wants to share his mercy, to the rich son Jesus who wants to share his grace and receive the gift of eternal life. As the musicians come forward, we're, we're going to pray and we're going to bring ourselves here to, to an end. But I want to give you an opportunity, folks. I want to give you the same opportunity that was given to me 32 years ago. To say to God, please, Lord, 
would you care for my spiritual poverty? Maybe you just need someone to help you in a small prayer. You say, how, how do I do that? How do I tell God about my spiritual poverty? Well, the Bible says that what makes us poor is the sin that separates us from God. And so all you need to do is say, dear God, I've sinned. And I live my life separated from you. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life and to grant me the riches of Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we pray. Perhaps this is your day to win the spiritual lottery, become rich in God. Perhaps this is the day for you to admit your spiritual poverty and make right with the God who wants to share all of what he is and all of what he has with you through inheritance. And if you'd like to do that, may I invite you in just a small prayer, something like this, dear God, I know you created me. I know I have been made in your image, but I also know that sin has separated me from you. I know I am poor. And today I would ask you to please forgive me of my sins. I accept the rich gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if you've prayed that prayer, and if you've prayed that from the bottom of your heart for the very first time, would you, would you say to God, God, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for making me rich.